YC Podcast Discussions on Child and Youth Care, episode number 166. I'm Wolfgang Vashon. Substance use, misuse, addiction, overdose, and related topics have been in the news, at least in North America, a lot recently. Whether it's drug companies like Purdue and Johnson & Johnson being sued, legalization of cannabis, the case for and against overdose prevention sites, THC quantity and edibles or the legalized distribution of heroin. There's a lot happening in this area and much of it impacts those of us who work with children, youth, families and communities. To consider how this impacts those of us who work with young people, I'm speaking today with Dennis Long. Dennis is the former president of the Ontario Federation of Community Addictions and Mental Health Programs the past executive director of Breakaway Substance Abuse Treatment Center, and a current teacher, educator, and activist related to substance use. Thank you so much for joining me, Dennis. Good to be here. So there's a lot to speak about. Sometimes I think I could do a, 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 a monthly podcast on substances alone, and I probably still wouldn't have enough to do. Yeah. Um, maybe... Um, just to start, we can have a, a bit of a context. Maybe I could ask you, why should we be concerned about substance use and young people? Or should we be concerned? Well, we should. We should absolutely be concerned. There's a couple of things happening right now that I think are important to keep in mind. One is um, that substance use has been for a long time common amongst young people, particularly high school-aged young people and middle school. Um, and that's not new. It's been going on for a long time. But the, the, the kinds of things that, that are happening are changing. Uh, we've seen an incursion of uh, prescription drugs into that population. Um, most worrisome are opiate prescription drugs, um, which seem we're seeing younger and younger people with um, relatively well-established opiate problems. And that um, is, is concerning, very highly concerning. And it's also concerning because of the current um, problem with um, unstable supply of these mm -hmm. medications. I mean, when kids are taking things like um, their parents' medication or they're getting pharmaceuticals through the, the black market, um, but they're made in a pharmaceutical factory, that's fine. But now we're seeing stuff coming in that's um, not made uh, legitimately and, and contamination, cross-contamination. Mm -hmm. So that's a problem. Um, the legalization of cannabis is probably going to um, to a certain extent, it's kind of a, a storm in a teacup because, I mean, um, young people have been smoking cannabis for forever, um, and it has been readily available to that population. But I think when, when it becomes legal, it tends to make kids think differently about the drug um, and the kind of normalization. And while it's difficult to be addicted to the substance cannabis, it's not that difficult to be dependent on the effects of the drug in a way, um, particularly for young people in the development um, development years, and they find that they're under a lot of stress and they've got a lot of anxiety and they've got all this other kind of stuff going on. And as you well know, it, um, the teenage years are not a whole lot of fun in a lot of cases, and sometimes smoking cannabis can, can make that better, or at least perceived to make that better. Um, 
Occasionally, it's probably not a significant problem, but on a regular basis, like smoking every day, um, several times a day, and so forth, that becomes problematic. And it has, it'll have an impact on brain development, but it also has an impact on social development. And, you know, the struggles we go through in, uh, in that age um, is, are legitimate struggles that people have to go through, and if you avoid them, then mm. that's problematic. So y- y- you're suggesting that the, the legalization of cannabis, we've seen this in, in, in North America, and we see this in um, some South American countries, and we're seeing this, um, and, and other places are having discussions about this. You know, when I look at, like, uh, high school use of, of alcohol versus cannabis, alcohol is about twice as popular as, as cannabis still use. Is. Yeah. Still is. Mm-hmm. Um, are you suggesting that cannabis use will increase because of the the legalization do you think i don't know okay. i think it's something we we're going to have to you know take a wait and see it's only been right. legal, legal for a year yeah and um in canada yeah in canada um and um you know other jurisdictions it's been legal longer mm-hmm. but the evidence is not all that clear yet i mean what we what we normally have seen in other jurisdictions is a bump in use and then it tapers off back and it's right. uh, still a little higher than it used yeah. to be but not so much right so I don't know. Um, right. Like I said, though, I mean, um, I remember asking my daughter, who's now 40, uh, <laughs> to have, um, you know, at one point when I was preparing something and I said, how easy is it for you to get, um, you know, cannabis in your high school? And she said, well, two minutes. Right. Um, okay. So, I mean, it's been that long. And while there may be some um, attitudinal change towards the drug and, um and so on. I'm not sure whether we're going to see a real increase in use, right. but it's still a problem. And you know, at Breakaway, um, the two major drugs we saw in, in the you know uh, teenage younger teenage teenagers was alcohol and uh, cannabis. Right. And um, frequently, cannabis came close. Right. I did one thing I wanted to pick up just as sort of a definitional thing. You talked about, um, you know, it's unlikely people will be physically addicted to, to cannabis yeah. just because of the, the chemical substance, but they might become dependent. And how, how do you separate those two terms? Well, it, it's, it's an interesting uh, conundrum to a certain extent because although, um, you know, um, Addiction is hard to define, right? And um, you know the classic idea that most people have in their heads is when you're addicted, you, you do stuff, and when you stop doing it, you get sick, right. and, and and that's how it goes. And uh, and so you don't stop because you don't want to get sick. That has is clearly uh, a phenomenon with some drugs, right. but not with all of them. Right. And um, cannabis has a. Uh, um, <clears throat> one of the ways to determine how likely it is for people to continue using is how fast the drug hi- hits you and how mm-hmm. fast it goes away. So if you're ta- tobacco is a good mm-hmm. example of that. I mean, you smoke a cigarette, you get the effect of the cigarette pretty much instantaneously. An hour later, it's gone, and you need to have another one. Um, that's not the case with cannabis. Cannabis has a relatively slow onset um, and a very long taper off. So people tend to, to you know, smoke feel good, you know, taper off, and it's mm. fine. And there's not a, the same kind of reinforcing effect. Withdrawal symptoms from cannabis are, um, there's a lot of debate in the field about whether there is or isn't. Um, my own opinion is if it is, it's so mild that nobody's been able to really figure out what it looks like. Right, right. So that puts that kind of addiction aside. The other kind of addiction, though, which is more pernicious, is I become dependent on this because it assists me in functioning in mm. some way. 
And so if I'm a highly anxious, just as an example, mm-hmm. highly anxious high school student struggling with this and having problems with socializing and doing all those kinds of things, and I smoke a joint before I go to school, everything goes a lot smoother. And if I find that that makes sense to me and, and, it, and it does continue to go smoother, then I'm going to smoke a joint every day before I go to school. The long-term effects of that are not going to be good. And, um, you know, your grades are going to go down and all like that. You can't really learn a whole lot when you're stoned. So, I mean, that kind of stuff is really going to be problematic. So that kind of addiction is real. Um, and I guess it's just because, you know, partly because I know a lot about this stuff and I get complicated in, com- in, in talking about it. But the simple fact is um, if you're dependent on a drug, and I like that word better than addicted, um, it doesn't really matter at the end of the day whether it's a physiological addic- uh, dependency or, or a psychological dependency, mm. it's still a problem. Right. And, and, you know, that drives what you do about it. So right. that's the right. kind of thing. Yeah. You know. So back when I was high school age, mm-hmm. it wasn't super common to hear about opiate use. Um, and, and something's happened mm-hmm. over the past... Uh, you know, 30 plus years that has really shifted. Um, now it's not uncommon to hear about adolescents overdosing who are actively in high school overdosing on opiates, um, sometimes mm-hmm. fatally, sometimes mm-hmm. not fatally. Um, do you have a sense of why, op- I mean, heroin used to be like the sort of the extreme, right? Mm-hmm. Like this was you know, that was, you know, serious, you know, bum, bum, bum. But now it doesn't, uh, you know, opiate use doesn't seem to have that same fear or stigma in high school. Would you agree with that? Or yeah, I, I would agree to a certain extent. And okay. I think it, it, it mean, you're probably not seeing a lot of people doing heroin in high school. Um, we're not, um, I, I don't think we were seeing that clinically a whole lot, but, and, I, and it's a huge but, um, that's only one of the opiate drugs, mm-hmm. and um, there were a, there were a lot of pharmaceuticals, um, oxycontin, um, Percocets, and all those kinds of pharmaceutical, and now fentanyl, um, that have really um, because they came through prescriptions, and a lot of the drugs that got into schools were from you know kids raiding their 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 parents' um, medicine cabinet or or whatever. Um, and so you have pharmaceutical grade stuff coming in, which is arguably less, less dangerous. Mm. But um, and I think it demystified the whole thing. And um, kids found that you know, okay, well, I can do this. It's okay. My parents are doing it. You know, and that kind of stuff. Um, now it's a different story, and I guess that's what I mean. As I was saying earlier, this is what's worrisome: is we kind of demystified. Part of that also probably goes because of the Massive campaign, uh, our advertising campaign by some of the chem- uh, some of the uh, pharmaceutical companies, Purdue comes to mind, mm-hmm. um, where they they tried to demystify. They wanted to make it a normal drug that you mm-hmm. could just take. Um, the fact is uh, that uh, they're not they're not safe. And um, if you take an opiate long enough, you'll get addicted. It's pretty much inevitable. But um, this worries me a bit, because, more than a bit, because now we've got kids using, there's a, there's a culture of using, and more dangerous drugs are coming in, and the supply of these drugs is unreliable in the extreme. Um, and so, you know, you go and you buy something, and you think it's going to be like this, and it isn't, and then you get into trouble. Um, and we really have to think of um, 
particularly with those age ranges, because we really haven't had the institutional um, mindset to deal with this, and, and high schools and, and, and schools in general are not prepared to do this right now. And so we really need to be working with, with um, institutions and with, with communities and say, look, this is a problem, um, and we need to be training people on harm reduction and naloxone and all that kind of stuff, because um, it's not going to go away soon. So let's talk a little bit about this idea of harm reduction and naloxone. So I can't really imagine in an Ontario high school, given our current situation and government, <laughs> that we'll be seeing naloxone kits or, or uh, you know, overdose protection uh, prevention sites in high school, or 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 an active response to it. Am I am, am I well, wrong? I think in you, the... Yeah, I think you're probably right. Right, um, which is unfortunate. Right. Uh, in, in my own personal opinion, I think we should have. Uh, in my own personal opinion, um, everybody who spends any time out in the world should have a naloxone kit available or know how to get one. Mm -hmm. um, it. As an example, um, you know, one of my staff, uh, when I worked at Breakaway, was coming home from work and went to her local pizza pizza and found some guy was an over, suffering an overdose in the middle of the floor in the pizza pizza, you know, and had to intervene. Right. Um, it, it's just something. And I think high schools are, um, uh, can't ignore this because um, overdoses will happen. And um, having an naloxone available and I, you know, you, you hear, I've heard, and, and I, I can't verify any of this, that, okay, yeah, we do, we had, it's in the office. Well, it's not good enough. Mm -hmm. You know, in the office means it's probably gonna take quite a while to go get it and get it and bring it in and do it. Um, they, they should just be re really available. And now we have, um, most of the kits now are um, a nasal spray. So it's not um, as complicated to administer. You know, you don't have to take a needle out and fill it up and do all that kind of stuff. It's just, right. and you're done. Right. Um, and it's life-saving. And if kids are going to be using opiates, and they are, um, there's going to be overdoses. Right. That's it. And I, I would assume that that goes as well for community centers, for group homes, Absolutely. for detention facilities, mm -hmm. for all of those places. All those, anywhere there's, yeah, there's anywhere young where there's, you know, yeah. Where, where yeah. There's, yeah. yeah. And like I said, the age range is getting down, is going mm -hmm. lower and lower. And uh, um, you know, I, I've I've had conversations with uh, Ministry of Community and Social Services, and they, um, well, let's just say that they are not yet prepared to believe that this this kind of a problem is is in in those age ranges as much as I think it is. Mm. So mm. I think that's also going to be a problem. Mm. We need to convince mm -hmm. uh, folks who are running like group mm. homes and stuff mm. like that um, that they need to be on top of this, and, and, mm. and there should be no locks on it. Right. Um, younger than than they think it is, you as a former director of a drug rehab center <laughs> who is seeing less, yeah. people, <laughs> right? Okay. Yeah. So how do we how do we work? So we talked about harm reduction, and and maybe we can talk a little bit more, a little bit more about what that means. How do we work with young people? So how do we support young people? You know, young people who are whether it be cannabis or, or opiates or, you know, over-the-counter cough syrup or whatever it is, um, and, and uh, or can I even say whatever it is? Are there different ways of working, depending on the substance, someone who's not specifically an addictions counselor, who is working with young people mm -hmm. who are using substances, recognizing that there's a range of root uses oh, from yeah. 
Yeah. You know? I used to uh, I used to go around and, and give talks in high schools for a while, and um, um, you know I'm 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 pretty knowledgeable about pharmacology and in, in, in particular these kinds of drugs. And uh, sometimes I'd run across students who are way better than me. Um, <laughs> so you know I think we have to understand that this is um, part of the of the uh, of the culture. Um, I think we need to think a little bit uh, more carefully about um, how we educate people about it. I think we should probably be thinking about high school courses in drugs and, and, and um, you know, drug abuse and, and thinking about that. Because um, the worst thing you can do, in my opinion, is to go to kids and say, don't do this, it's a bad thing. Hmm. Just don't do this. And, you know, Why you is know, that a bad thing? Shouldn't she? Yeah, well, exactly. I mean, so they're going to come back at you. And, and um, telling people not to do something, you know, particularly teenagers, is almost like, you know, go do this. <laughs> yeah, you know, um, Got to be good if they say I can't do it. Um, so I think that's the thing that we need to do is really educate people, really um take the wraps off of this stuff and sit down, you know, and have opportunities to talk to kids realistically and not scaremongering and, and not doing anything like that. Give them the straight facts about it. Make sure that, that what they're doing, they understand what's happening and what's, you know, what, what, the, what the risks are, what everything, and, you know, what to do if things go south. Um, so those kinds of things would be helpful. I mean, I was just I was teaching a class this afternoon. We were talking about prohibition, and I said it doesn't work. Never works. Never has. Um, so, we you know on a smaller scale, you can't you just go in and say, um, as the school administration were saying, you can't do any kind of drugs and don't ever do drugs, and that's it. Uh, no, you got to educate people about them. You've got to realize that it's part of our culture, has been for a very long time, will be for as many years mm -hmm. as we can imagine. So what what are you going to do? You got to teach people about this, mm -hmm. um, and understand and you know. Contrary to, to a lot of people's opinion, most teenagers have the ability to think carefully about stuff if they're given respectful information in clear way and, and, and true way. That's what we need to do. Hmm. Let's imagine we have someone that we're working with um, who we're concerned about their, their substance use. Mm -hmm. We said stop. They didn't. Mm -hmm. Can't imagine why. Mm -hmm. And uh, we are concerned. Um, thoughts on how we we uh, address that. Thoughts on how we uh, um, approach those sorts of situations. Um, well, it gets into um, you know how do people change their behavior? Mm. And if we go to somebody and say, "Look, you know what? We're worried, and, and we're seeing this happening." Um, if they agree with you, then you're in one place, and then you start talking about, "Well, okay, what are we going to do about this?" Um, if they don't agree with you, um, then you've got to come up with some idea as to, or you need to come up with some evidence as to why they should be worried about it. And that needs to be done in a sensitive way. That needs to be done in a way that kind of um, starts with, well, what do you want to do? Um, uh, you know, um, I want to be an athlete. Okay, well, if you, you know, smoking dope once a day, well, it's probably going to be a problem. Um, those kinds of things. So you build an evidentiary case to help them see that the behavior is damaging. And you, and you frame it in what do you want? Not, I want you to stop using drugs because, you know, it's more... I 
let's talk about where you want to go and which how you want to get there. You may uncover stuff that's that's going to be require much more intervention than you're capable of, particularly if you're not well trained in this, and you know, and, and psychiatric problems as well. But at least you're starting from I want to help you get where you want to go. And then you're able to put that into a framework that makes some sense about, well, maybe the substance use here and you're indulging in is not a good thing the way you're doing it right now. Can we talk about another way to do it or something like that? Maybe, you know, in any case I was saying, well, maybe you smoke only on Saturday nights and that's it. Um, it sounds counterintuitive, but the thing is that um, saying stop because I say stop is not mm -hmm. going to work. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> so... I'm sure you've encountered this. I've encountered this many times. People are not particularly interested in in stopping, and they may not even see it as a concern, right? Mm -hmm. um, and you know, you and I both know people who have who have overdosed and and yeah. go right back to using. Yeah. So this idea of 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 harm reduction, um, it. There's some people who are very against it, right? There, there's sort of a traditional approach to substances, you know, the abstinence approach. I think of the sort of the 12th mm -hmm, step, mm -hmm. um, you know, once uh, an addict, alcoholic, always an addict, an alcoholic, forever, mm -hmm. henceforth. You can never, you know, sip a glass of wine at mm -hmm. Thanksgiving dinner again. Otherwise, your life is over, over and yeah. you're you're done. Um, versus this sort of other approach, you know. Uh, perceived approach of, you know, well, we're, we're giving drug addicts heroin, you know, at the pharmacy, they're shooting up, like, you know, and, and sort of this continuum of, of abstinence, harm reduction. Uh, how do we how do we understand this continuum? And how do we work with people from a harm reduction perspective who say, I don't want to stop using? Well, that's common. Um, how do we deal with it? You know, you, you described a spectrum of approaches, which is very accurate, um, you know, from the hardline abstinence right over to, you know, um, prescribing heroin and everything in between. All of them are valid. All of them have their function. Hmm. I mean, you know, there are people that have come to see, uh, come to our clinic that we've referred into abstinence-based programs because that's where they needed to be. Hmm. Um, and it, it, will, it might work for them, um, but other people not so much. Um, the point, and I think the point is, um, and it goes back to what we were, we were talking about just a few minutes ago, um, you need to sit with people and say, well, what do you want to do? Um, our, the old approach um, in addictions treatment often was, we know you're an addict, so this is what you need to do. And you will do this, or, you know, or we'll throw you out of the program, or we'll do whatever. Um, that doesn't work. Uh, what you need to do is sit down with people and say, um, you know, and we're assuming at this point that they're coming saying, I got a problem. Um, okay, you got a problem, what do you want to do about it? And what would be realistic for you? And then when they, when they tell you, then you, you build, a, you build a, a path for them. That path will change probably, but you'll at least get somewhere to go and then you move on. I mean, you know, the reason that we're talking about um, um, giving people heroin is for some people, all the other things don't work and they're struggling, and, and, and they're massively struggling. 
Um, so we've had two studies in Canada now that say, you know, prescribing heroin to these folks, and you, and you do it under a very controlled way. Um, it's IM, it's not IV, it's all that kind of stuff. And you find that people all of a sudden start functioning better, they get jobs, they do stuff. Um, that's the goal. The goal is not, I mean, we have to get away from this idea that the goal is stopping using. Um, because um, that's only a very small part of the puzzle. You know, stopping using is, is good, but, you know, um, behavior problems aren't going to go away. You know, the struggles that they have psychologically, the other kinds of things are not going to go away because they stopped using. In some cases, they get worse. So we really have to figure out, well, what do you want to, where, and this is, the, this is the premise and the underlying premise of harm reduction is rather than telling people what to do, we ask people, what do you want to do and where do you want to go? And then we try ways to f facilitate that and keep them alive while we're doing that. I mean, the, the big, you know, the major focus of this, it's, you know, harm reduction came out of the AIDS crisis and moved its way through. And the, you know, the whole point was, <clears throat> how do we make people st stay safe and not die? But now we're moving into another phase of, well, how do we then begin to accept that um, a lot of people can continue using drugs no matter what? How do we make them as safe as possible? And how do we make them able to live functional lives, which is the other part? So one of the most difficult conversations that I've had around this is with parents whose children are using, mm -hmm. parents who have watch their children overdose, parents who mm -hmm. have perhaps, you know, used naloxone on their own child who's overdosed, mm -hmm. um, and the fear, the terror in parents, mm -hmm. or the the rejection, like, I can't, I can't, I can't have you in my house anymore, you're not safe for your siblings, or I, I don't know, or you've mm -hmm. stolen too much from mm -hmm. us, um, how, yeah, how do, how do we support parents going through this this stuff. I've had the same conversations and I must say that it's the same dilemma. Uh, um, you know, I met with a group of parents not that long ago and um, they were frustrated because there's no way to um, force young people into treatment um, in, 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 in Canada and um, in Ontario. Um, and they were, they, they were really, really frustrated and angry. Um, and I think one of their one of their um, one of their children died, um, but a lot of them are struggling. <clears throat> All you can do, I think, is support them. But the fact is that, um, as a person who is running an agency and, and, and designing agencies, individual agency—I uh, mean, using that word in the right way—is is primary. You know, if a young person came to our, our agency, we, were on, we would ask them if we could get in touch with their parents. We would not do that automatically. And if parents called and, and the kid was there, we would not tell them. Um, and I think that's fundamentally important. But the unfortunate side fact of that is, no, you can't force your kid into treatment. No, you can't. Um, and you need to have, you need to be forming, you know, you need to be getting help on, for yourself. And, and working your way through this. And yes, really bad stuff can probably happen. But um, they, when kids, you can't protect kids from that. And, they're, they're, you know, I mean, even this idea of, well, we're going to force people into treatment. Well, I've seen that in operation, don't work. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. Um, it, you know, it, occasionally it does, but it's very, very difficult and very, very long term, and it takes a lot of work. And <clears throat> most cases it fails. And um, then you're probably worse off than when you started mm-hmm. because the family, you know, you, you forced me to go someplace and I don't want to, I didn't want to go and now I'm really, really angry with you and then, you know, you're, back, you're, you're five steps back from where you started. And it's a huge problem. And I don't, I wish I could give you an answer <laughs> that would work. And, um, and you know, and, and, I, and I can't. I mean, it's really, really difficult to, um, to work with people in that situation. And it is very distressing. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, and I you know I'm very sympathetic, but the other the other side of it is you know we have to treat kids as adult as as independent individuals. And that's it. Mm-hmm. As we start to wrap up, we've talked a, a lot about opiates, and, and partly because you know of the the, the risk of fatality, mm-hmm. you know, with opiates. Uh, um, or there seems to be, uh, you, you know. Certainly other drugs are of concern, whether it be, you know, crystal meth, which, you know, has not gone away and, no, and it seems it to be increasing no. in, 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 in some is. communities. Mm-hmm. You know, ecstasy has been around for, you know, decades now and it's, it's not going anywhere. And, and so there's lots of other other drugs that that exist. Um, how do we how do there's a question in here around uh, uh, prioritizing or, or concerning or supporting. You know, one of the things you said was, you know, adolescents are going to use drugs, right? They've, they've always used drugs. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, we need to be concerned. When do we be concerned? Do we be concerned if, you know, if there's an adolescent who, you know, uses ecstasy once a month and, and dances mm-hmm. all night, um, do we say, ah, well, you know, that's, you know, that's, mm-hmm. that's you know, that's a big deal. Um, I was talking to a young person um, earlier this this week who said, you know, yeah, when I, when I was, you know, my parents would buy me alcohol, right? Because they would say, well, it's harm reduction. We're getting a drink at home. Everyone's going to be, you know, we're going to we're mm-hmm. going to watch you. Other parents are like, you know, that's one of the worst possible things you can do, right? Um, yeah. Anyway, I, you know, the, yeah, it's a bit of a confused question. In there. Well, there's no there's no one size fits all. Right. And I guess that's the thing. I mean, basically, and this is sort of goes back to the theme we've, we've been talking about a little bit is information is really important. Yeah, you're right. I mean, right now we're concerned about opiates and the unsafe supply of opiates. Um, but the other drugs are still there and still causing damage. And I was actually in a conversation with somebody yesterday about methamphetamine where the data is starting to get worrisome, mm-hmm. um, particularly in some communities. Um, and, you know, ecstasy has been there forever. Um, but unfortunately now it's, begin- it's not as pure as it once was and it's getting contaminated and that's the thing. So we need to think about stuff. Um, is when it comes to young people, information is key. Um, and, you know, letting them know and again, getting the facts out. In terms of control, we can't control this shit. I mean, really, you can't control this stuff. So you got to be really careful about um, what we do and also trying to avoid the kind of blind panic that comes out every mm-hmm. once in a while. You know, I remember when uh, back in the, you know, I'm old enough to remember when crack first hit Toronto and everybody's going, oh, my God, oh, my God, you know. It's still here and it's still a problem, and it is, but it's not going to make the world end. 
Um, and so putting it into some kind of realistic framework and then beginning to deal with it. And we, you know, honestly, just to go slightly off where we're going, um, our country and in, in our province has done well, particularly um, has did a good thing with, with legalizing uh, marijuana, in my opinion, but we, we need to go much farther than that because it's just not working too well. So, uh, you know, probably what we should be doing is looking at, you know, kinds of things that are happening in Portugal where they've literally decriminalized all drugs and you know and everybody goes oh my god that's you know and it is counterintuitive oh, but actually it worked and um, what you end up then with is a significant drop in the problems and they, they, they have one of the lowest overdose rates, rates in, in, in Europe um, all the other kinds of problems associated with drug use have, have dramatically dropped so we need to think about that because um, normalizing drug use is not a bad thing. What it does is begin to make people think more pragmatically about what do we do about this. Because as soon as we get ourselves all bent out of shape and say, oh my God, we know there are new drugs coming, um, and, and we don't act rationally. Hmm. And we really need to step back. And this goes back to our conversation about harm reduction. The first part of it is, is it needs to be practical. What will work? And um, our drug policy, for the most part, with some notable exceptions, has not worked, period. So we need to think of it. We need to turn a page. Right. So just to wrap up, there's one, one last question I want to ask you about. It seems like the latest hysteria is around vaping. Mm -hmm. And there, there's all of a sudden this, you know, you know vaping is, is taking our children, it's destroy like you know and, and like there's there seems to be there somehow i see parallels to uh the crack cocaine epidemic yeah. and and the crystal yeah. meth epidemic right and you know we're gonna ban this and, and i and i you know i do not at all want to diminish the you know last i heard you know 450 hospitalizations in the u.s none in canada that i'm aware of uh you know five deaths in the u.s related to vaping or, uh, you know, illicit or black market vaping products. It's a bit unclear. Um, any thoughts on, on... No, I mean, I think the thing is, you know, we're early stages of this. You know, vaping's not been around that long. Mm -hmm. um, and now it's getting much more common. And, you know, the mythology around it was, well, it's safer than smoking. Mm -hmm. um, probably it is mildly, but... But now we're discovering that there's other problems with it. So I think my personal opinion is let's wait and see here. I mean, um, let's tell people that it's not as safe as you think it is, but we're not entirely sure how dangerous it is. So maybe, you know, be really careful with this. Um, but as the time goes on, we're going to see it, see different things. And, you know, my assumption, and, and not, I mean, I think we, this is what we need to find out is, well, is this legitimate vaping products where, you know, you go to a store and it's manufactured and it's clean, or is this people figuring out ways to stuff all kinds of stuff into a vaping machine and now, you know, you're getting lung uh, necrosis and other kinds of things going on? I don't know. And I think we're, we're still going to have to wait for the information to come in. Dennis, I want to thank you. Well, thank you. A, it's been a wonderful conversation, informative, and uh, maybe it's the beginning of, of several about this topic. Because I would be very happy to do that. Awesome. Okay. Thank you very thank much. Thank you.